Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Tell Me Leather Podcast. I'm Logan, and here with me today are my good friends, Andrew, and out in Nashville officially now. How how was how was the move, Andrew? Man, next time I move, I'm hiring people to do all of it. It's an experience that you only want to have to go through once in your life. My apartment's still just a forest of boxes. Did you ever figure out what to do with the love seat? Yeah, so the uh, the apartment complex across the street had a bulk furniture disposal place. Ah, well, that's convenient. And so, like, when it was dark outside, we like rode over there and very like clandestinely like pulled it off and like threw it in and led drove off. Wait, should we be talking about this in like a public? Oh crap! <laughs> crap! They're haunting me. All right. Well, meanwhile, out in Texas, we have Artem. How you doing today, Artem? Not too bad. It's raining pretty heavy outside, but it's not inside. Well, that's always good, I guess. It's going to turn into like that movie that's coming out soon, Crawl, where it rains so hard the alligators start attacking. That's probably coming, but that's more a Florida thing. Yeah, I would think so. Y'all don't have a lot of gators out there. <laughs> this week, this week, guys, we're talking about the Pac-12. Uh, so the Pac-12 is... An interesting scenario. Uh, Artem, you didn't even really want to talk about them because of uh, their schedules, their struggles on the field. But I think what's been fascinating this offseason has been the off-the-field off scenarios. There's a lot of questions around this, uh, the TV deal, the ownership of the uh, Pac-12 conference, the questionable decision-making, and this whole California law. Now, Andrew, I think we kind of briefly went over this before the cast. This is essentially a law being passed by the uh, state legislature that will allow for people to make money off of their own likenesses. And if that becomes viable, it essentially makes all players – at the college level, ineligible by NCAA regulation. Am I understanding the rule properly? Yeah, that's from what I've read, that's what it kind of looks like. Is they're wanting to allow players to profit from their likenesses as well as it would allow them to hire an agent or an attorney to represent them in those business deals, which are both against NCAA regulations in order to be eligible to compete in an NCAA-sanctioned or sponsored in that sport. Right. And obviously this would only be, I think, an effective rule to the 1% of the 1% of NCAA players, essentially the people that actually have value in making money off their names. But it would make essentially the entire state ineligible um, for, I think right now the plan is from the NCAA to make the uh, teams all ineligible for postseason play and for any championship competition, uh, championship level competition, which would obviously be a huge impact to the Pac-12 and to conferences like the Mountain West and, uh, let's see, any other teams involved? Any others involving California state schools? Um, and of course, with that aside, I think Artem, 
as we also talked about, uh, people like Artem are kind of viewing the Pac-12 as the one of the weakest conferences on the field. Now, Artem, do you have a real reason for believing that? You've kind of we've kind of talked about skipping them <laughs> as a podcast option before. Do you just not a fan, or is there any reason that you don't uh, view them as highly as other conferences? Just seems like they've been trying to hype themselves up over the last couple of years and almost every three of the big sports, baseball, basketball, football, and they really haven't produced. If you look at, you know, who made the, the NCAA tournament for basketball, the World Series teams for college baseball, and then the lack of any team put in the last, since the beginning of this new playoff system, a Pac-12 team has never made it. Oregon. Um, it's kind of it's kind of tough to argue against. They don't have any success. Well, Oregon made it, and I believe Washington made it. One Washington year. made it. Yeah, Washington made it. Now, Oregon made the playoff. They they made the national title game and lost to Ohio State. It was Mariota's last year. I thought that was before the playoff. Well, I don't know because they lost to Auburn in 2010 to Cam Newton. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Well, it's been a while. It's, I mean, it is a fair critique, and uh, like I said, the per, the national perception is not helped by uh, their leadership and the money making situation with their network. But there's definitely uh, there's definitely been better perceptions of the conference. Uh, with that said, let's go ahead and get into the teams themselves. So, I want to start off with Oregon State, and I apologize to all our Beaver fans because. I've, I, I kind of feel like they're the Cubs, where it's like I pity them the situation they're in. But somebody's got to be the consistent whipping boy, and Oregon State has never done anything to set themselves apart to move themselves up. So they are pretty much the worst team in the Pac-12. Um, Andrew, uh, unless I'm missing something. Uh, th- they're going to be the worst team again this year. Do you know something I don't? Yeah, they um, they were not good last year. They do return starters on offense and seven starters on defense, but they're one of those teams where you get into the question of if you started but were terrible, how much better are you going to be coming back? They did have a freshman All-American running back in Jamar Jefferson, who was really their only offensive weapon. He had 1,300 yards. 12 touchdowns last year. Jake Luton looks to be starting quarterback. He really struggled with injuries the past few seasons, but you know he had 10 touchdowns and four interceptions last season before he got hurt. But the biggest thing with Oregon State is that defense was just awful. 12th in scoring in the Pac-12, 12th rushing defense, 10th in passing defense, 12th total defense, 129th nationally in four, three out of four categories. You know, that's where you're going to have to see some kind of – I think they were – the thing that saved them was the fact that Connecticut was historic bad defensively. Yeah, and that's not going to be a factor this year, sadly. So I mean, Connecticut still might be historically bad defensively. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to have a conference to depend on. So, I mean, this will be the – the only Power 5 team, the worst-looking Power 5 team other than maybe? No, Kansas will be probably better than them. We'll see. Um, do you have anything to add before I push it to Artem? Artem, uh, 
You uh, no, I'm trying to look at their skit. They may beat Cal Poly week two, which is their FCS, but and or week three. They go to Hawaii week two, but I think Hawaii is better than they are. Um, they don't get Colorado, which is who st- was a pretty bad team on the other side. Kind of strange when you think about that because those are probably going to be the two worst teams out there. Um, Artem, I mean, like Andrew said, they return seven starters on offense, seven starters on defense. Do you think that's going to make a difference uh, given how bad they are? Probably not. Um, Oklahoma State's going to be a tough team. And like Andrew said, Hawaii is their other out of conference out of the three. And I don't think they can even beat Hawaii. Um, there's a chance that some of the experience they have coming back might work for them in playing Oklahoma State in the very first game. Oklahoma State's going to be pretty young, too, uh, after losing a bunch of guys. Last year, they had, Oklahoma State had a senior quarterback step in after a four-year starter. So whoever Oklahoma State picks is going to be fresh, probably not a lot of experience. Depending on how that game goes, they could get a little bit of confidence and get rolling a little bit this season, maybe get a couple wins, but it's going to be tough for them to even make a ball game. Yeah, um, I don't think they've even got – bowl game is a pipe dream at this point for that team. Um, all right, so sorry again, Oregon State. It doesn't look like this is going to be your year. Uh, next up, we got Colorado. So Colorado's another bottom barrel team. We've got low expectations coming on that with their new coach, Mel Tucker, given that he just lost his lead rusher in Traven McMillan. Uh, and lost five of the top ten tacklers from last year uh, on defense. So this, combined with a pretty rough cross-division schedule, means that it's hard to have positive expectations for Colorado. Uh, But you never know. Uh, Colorado has been one of team to surprise a couple of years. Um, So Artem... Where do you where do you sit Colorado at in the conference picture? They're probably going to have a lot of, uh, of a lot of learnings to do this season. The system's going to be a little bit different. Mel Tucker is a defensive minded head coach. Uh, you know, it's always tough when you get a head coach, especially it's not a, you know Urban Meyer coming in having won a, a championship. Um, and he was even tough for him at, uh, at Ohio State at the time. So with Mel Tucker coming in, I think it's his first coaching gig. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew. I think he's going to be figuring out how to coach. Yeah, it's his first coaching job. He's uh, He was the D.C. And I think he spent some time with Saban at Alabama as well. So based on that, while he figures out kind of what his own image of a head coach looks like, what his own uh, – portrayal of that is the team's going to be figuring out as well and usually they might make a bowl game just because they have been decent they've been stacking talent for the last couple of years um the guy before him if i get his name was a type of head coach who you know would suck for two years and then would be good for two years because of juniors and seniors he had in the program had gained experience and that was their third and fourth year in the program so i think that's what Mel tucker's essentially looking to change is more consistency instead of this this wave that a lot of programs run into so, Andrew, do you think that uh, consistency will be good for the program in the long term? I don't know. Steven Montez, the quarterback's going into his third year as the starter, so you kind of hope that he's developed enough to really understand the game. 
And Mike McIntyre was just kind of a weird. He had the one really good year where he snuck upon everyone and won the Pac-12 South, and then he never made a bowl game other than that, I believe. And so it was kind of a weird kind of shift around for him. The other crazy thing about Colorado is they started five and zero last year. You know, with a win at Nebraska, they beat UCLA and Arizona State. And then they didn't win again, including an overtime loss to Oregon State. Right, which is just, it's hard to justify after that point. (laughs) Now, the one thing about Colorado that'll be extremely fun is they have probably one of the best wide receivers in the nation in LaVisca Chenault. And if he comes back healthy from his injury last year, I mean, he's a good guy that, you know, in, in nine games he had... 86 catches for a high, over a thousand yards, six touchdowns. He ran for five touchdowns. Like, you know, you want to talk about an electric guy that'll be fun to watch a kind of an under the radar program. We don't expect to be very good. You know, that that's a reason to watch the Buffaloes in my mind is just to see what Chenault could do. Well, it will be a definitely an interesting shift in the scheme because I think they were mostly run heavy focused uh, the past few years, but, it should be interesting to see. I just don't have – I'm not very hopeful. Let me put it that way. I'm still saying uh, probably another five and seven season if they're lucky. But we'll see. Never know. Uh, speaking of another team that has had luck on their side, um, Arizona State. Uh, Andrew, are you still firm for Herm? Because I know you were kind of big on him as as the season ran on last year. Uh, it, he has to replace a QB, but is returning a solid running back and three O-line starters from last year. Defense retains much more in the secondary, and that's always going to help them out. I mean, I think a lot of people have given Herm Edwards flack because they didn't expect him to perform. Uh, but on, honestly, overall, I've been seen a large uptick from Arizona State since he's gotten there, the motivation and the drive the players seem to have. So is this going to be a big surprise year? Are we looking at maybe like an eight-win season coming out of them? Andrew? It's possible. They get Eno Benjamin back, who is a really, really good running back. They did lose a 3,000-yard passer in Manny Wilkins and a 1,000-yard receiver in Nikhil Henry. They were the only team last – the only Power 5 program last year to have – a 3,000-yard passer, a 1,000-yard receiver, and a 1,500-yard runner. So that'll be interesting. Now, one of the things they did do is they signed a really highly rated true freshman in Jaden Daniels at quarterback. He was an early enrollee, so I think it'll be interesting to see if he ends up winning that starting job from Dylan Sterling Cole. It may be kind of a he has a higher ceiling, so we should play him. The defense, you know, the questions are going to be on the defensive line where all of their starters are gone. But the offense last year was pretty good. They ran the ball. They were the number two rushing offense in the Pac-12, fourth in scoring. Uh, I think it's another question where we kind of, you know, hope the defense gets a little bit better. They were apparently one of the youngest defensive units in the season last, in the year last year. So that'll kind of, hopefully those guys will grow and get better. And having another year in the system with D.C. Danny Gonzalez will really, kind of help them but yeah the, the thing about it is the the Pac-12 South is so 
kind of open right now. You know, even with USC, as you expected, no one to me is really super heavy favorite. So it wouldn't surprise me. You know, they get USC at home, they get Oregon at home, they get Washington State at home. They travel to Utah, which I think will be a really – and then they actually, week three, they go to Michigan State, which will be a really fun out-of-conference game to kind of see them as a measuring stick to, you know, what kind of year you're going to have. Well, and that was a fun game last year too. I think that's a low-key, a very fun matchup to watch. Uh, we'll have to see uh, if they perform as well on the road as they did at home, but uh, – it should be a it should be a pretty good run for them if they can continue to perform up to uh, above expectations like they have been under Herm. Uh, Artem, do you share this view as far as uh, Arizona's out, state's outlook? Yeah, I think the verdict is still out, and the experiment continues with Herm. He was, you know, what controversial hire in the way that he was hired more of a ceo coach who lets his guys do his thing and or i guess and they have a him as a ceo and then they had like a gm what was the role andrew for their guy they hired a specific guy to be like yeah i, I can't remember his name but yeah that was one of the big things when they hired him is they wanted to move towards more of an nfl style structure and it seemed to work out for them year one so the true change, just like we've talked about, between most programs is going to be year one to two and how good can you do. I think there's a lot of hope. Like Andrew said, the defense is going to be another year older with a full belt, uh, a full year under their belt and experienced. And on offense, at least from a quick look, it looks like their offensive linemen are going to be all seniors uh, with Dylan Sterling Cole as potentially as a starter who's been in the program for a couple of years. So hopefully there's not going to be that much changeover they lost uh Nikhil harry the wide receiver but honestly i don't think that's going to impact them as much as people think uh i watched a couple of their games last year and they honestly seemed to try to do without him until they really couldn't so in the really really close games that's when they were kind of okay well we'll go with this guy he's our playmaker but i think they they spent last year not trying to not be you know, we're stuck to this wide receiver who's awesome, and when he leaves, we're going to be screwed. They were trying to find other ways to win. So, uh, like Andrew said, you know, Benjamin's going to be awesome. Uh, I think it's his sophomore year he's going into. He's a true freshman last year, right? The running back? Yeah. Yes. I think he was a true freshman. He's a junior. He's a junior, he's a junior this junior. year, so he would have been a sophomore been a last year. <laughs> so, looking for another good year from him. Honestly, he was a really exciting dude out of high school. Um, and the game I have scheduled, actually circled on my calendar for them is uh, a Michigan State Week 3. That was a really fun game. If you guys remember last year, they played each other in uh, Week 2 and kind of blew our hopes up. So kind of looking forward to that. That game ended 16-13 to with Arizona State winning at home. This time it's going to be at Michigan State, so a little bit of a colder weather. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch, honestly. Um, it kind of changed the trajectory of both seasons. It was a very emotional game for Arizona State last year, and they dropped two games afterwards until they settled back in. So it's going to be more important to what happens to Arizona State after that game than what actually happens during the game, I think. Let's see how they can recover faster than they did last year. Well, and let's see if they can rein in some of that uh, college kid uh, mentality and maybe give if they stick with this mentality that trying to uh... – trying to foster then i think they've got a really good shot at 
not just winning that game, but go winning quite a few down the line. But uh, other than that, let's go move to a team that has to change its own mentality as well. UCLA, uh, <laughs> Chip Kelly, uh, he's in an interesting situation. Uh, after starting off on a rough uh, year last year, I think uh, a lot of people are questioning his coaching ability at the college level, which is kind of strange to say. I mean, he's only had one year. Um, he obviously struggled at the NFL at the end of his NFL career. He's struggled coming back. But I think a lot of people are still expecting him to uh, be a better coach. The problem is you're at UCLA. How? What's your timeline here? Because they expect some good results quickly. Um, so they've got some tough road out-of-conference games against Cincinnati, San Diego State, and Oklahoma. Um, QB Dorian Thompson Robinson and running back Joshua Kelly will return, which will make things easier, but they lose one of their top wide receivers in Caleb Wilson. Most of the defense returns from last year. So I think this is going to be a year where expectations uh, for uh, Chip Kelly are going to be a little bit higher given the amount of talent he returns. Um, but Artem, we've talked about it in other casts. You're not exactly hopeful for Chip Kelly. What are your thoughts on this moving forward? This is very similar to why Kevin Sumlin got let go from AM. I think right now USC is kind of the main thing you're comparing UCLA to. They, they're always rivals. But right now, especially, USC is not in a good place. They're not winning a lot of games. They lost more games in conference last year than won. So if you're a, UCLA, a fan of UCLA, you're looking at the situation like, okay, thank God our rivals are also shitty and are not taking advantage of us being shitty. But also you're pretty pissed off because your biggest rival that has been probably more successful than you, especially in the recent history, is down and you're like – treading feet in the water essentially you're you're not taking any advantage of it sure you hired chip kelly but that hire has not worked out as well as they thought the the changeover didn't didn't work out as well and they're not getting the same talent that they could be a lot of kids from california want to get away from california and the kids that go visit them the top talent aren't staying i i don't know how you how hard it is to be able to sell hot attractive women mountains and the beach all in the same place and pretty close to Hollywood, but somehow UCLA is managing to do that, um, and kids don't want to go to UCLA. Maybe it's the track record, maybe it's the coach, maybe he's rubbing people the wrong way, but something really weird is happening there, and I cannot explain why kids do not want to go there. So problem is, when if you look at Chip, Chip Kelly's track record at Oregon, uh, he got pretty lucky because the talent was there. So he pretty much over used the talent to beat all the other teams. His teams were just more talented and made more big plays than the teams that he played against. That's why he was a huge winner and huge um, had huge success. You could really see it on the NFL level when he went. And um, I think he that he started the Eagles, and then he went to 49ers. And uh, when he was at the Eagles, he had a ton of talent, and he made that team succeed. But then he moved over to the 49ers, which were already in a bad situation, and he couldn't turn that team around. And that kind of shed that light on what kind of coach he is to me. So uh, it's not looking good because they don't have that talent that he would need to win at UCLA. 
Well, I mean, to say something, I do think that part of the reason he didn't succeed at the NFL level was more that he wanted to run it like it was at the coaching uh, as a college-level team, whereas he got to be the GM and the coach, and that's not kind of not how things are done in the NFL. But uh, so, yeah, managing the talent and managing the uh, coaching is a little difficult, different at the NFL level. But anyway... Andrew, uh, what do you agree with Artem here? Is this going to be a make-or-break year for Kelly? There's a really distinct chance that he starts 0-5. I could see them losing all five of their first games. It would be really interesting if that happens because he may not have a job. Do you think they'll lose to Arizona? I think so. Wow. All right. right. They, They barely beat him last year. Well, and Khalil Tate is still at Arizona. If he has figured out his stuff like we expect him to, then, yeah, they, Arizona could be better this year. You would be surprised. <laughs> we'll the, talk about that in a second. <laughs> the, the interesting thing to me is Kelly left the college game in 2012, and at the time, you know, he was kind of at the the forefront of the tempo revolution, the how many snaps can we get in a game, how fast can we snap the ball. But now that's that's pretty much operating procedure for most of college football. And so it's really fascinating to see as the rest of college football has adapted, changed, and utilized a lot of Kelly's ideas, he's not really doing anything different anymore. So it'll be fascinating to see what he can try to do to adapt, build a little bit. Thompson Robinson, the quarterback, is going to be really, really interesting. You know, he had a shoulder injury last year, and he kind of split time with Wilson Spade to – you're really hoping it's his job. They let him have the job, and you know you play with you know win lose. You let him start and you let him play. They've got to get better defensively, and they got. I mean, again, they got to get better across the board. But the defense, you know, four three categories they were rate above a hundred. They were 104th scoring. Uh, the stranger to me is the offense. You didn't see the offensive explosion you're used to seeing with Chip Kelly, and I think that's where, as I kind of said, you you wonder if the game's caught up and if he's able to innovate and come up with something new like he did in Oregon with that group when he was the OC under Bilotti and then he was the head guy. So it'd be really interesting to see what he, if he's able to adapt and change and see how that shakes out. But honestly, they're still at least another year or two away from competing for the division. But, again, for him to keep his job, you've got to see growth. So if they sneaked out six wins, possibly, and made a bowl game, that kind of saves his job. But if they kind of tank out, again, if they lose the first five games like they did last year, especially you know that week one at Cincinnati, you know Cincinnati's a good program and it's on the road. If they lose week two against San Diego State, he may get he may get fired before the Oklahoma game. Dang, that's a that's a quick one. All right, well that's a little rough situation to, uh, to wake up to, but I mean I think it's real. I think it's a concern for him, but uh, that's the road he chose. All right, next up, so Artem wants to talk about Khalil Tate, and we'll get to him in a bit. But Kevin Sumlin, Khalil Tate out in Arizona. Uh, Tate loses his top three wide receivers, but has four returning starters on the O-line. I think this is his year to kind of prove himself, Khalil Tate, and kind of show that 
he deserves to be that quote-unquote high draft pick that he was two years ago. Um, he really needs to prove himself as more of a standard-style quarterback, and Kevin Sumlin's been bringing him up that way. We'll have to see if that's going to be successful. Uh, Andrew, do, what what other parts of Arizona do we need to be on the lookout for? So what's really crazy to me, and I didn't realize this, is that Arizona finished in the top three in all four big offensive categories in the Pac-12. They were third in scoring. They were the number one rushing team in the Pac-12, third in passing, and number one in total yards. Their biggest thing is they've got to get better defensively. They were 10th in scoring defense, 8th in rushing defense, 12th in passing defense, 10th in total defense, and they were at a minus four turnover margin. And so that's really where you've got to see growth. You know, the offense – the offensive line comes back, Tate's back, the running back's back. But, you know, you've got to find some wide receivers. you got to, you know, obviously you got to have somebody to throw the ball to. But if the offense stays the same and the defense, you know, marginally better, they may be a, an interesting dark horse in competing at division. Well, and I mean, like you said, it's a division that's wide open right now. So Yeah. You know, and they, they get Oregon State, which helps. They do have to go to Oregon and to Stanford, which doesn't really do them a lot. You know, week three against Texas Tech will be pretty fascinating. You know, they, they, they play Colorado. You know, I mean, I could I could see them easily sneaking out, you know, a six or a seven win season. Yeah. Uh, the school apparently invested $16 million for an indoor training facility and $25 million to renovate the stadium. So, you know, they're – They've got to see growth again, kind of like with UCLA. You know, missing a bowl game again is really going to put it hot water. So I guess Artem, you're more familiar with Kevin Sumlin than the rest of us. Is he the coach to bet that growth on? <laughs> I don't know. If they're going to do much better than five and seven they did last year, and by that I mean I pretty much agree with Andrew. Probably a six or seven win season. I don't know if Kevin Sumlin's lucky that his first five games are teams that are also kind of in a disarray or in, in a new coaching situation. I mean, Hawaii is going to be questionable. They're probably going to be Tech with a new coach. They'll probably be UCLA due to lack of talent. Colorado has a new coach. But then they go into the meat grinder of Washington, USC, Stanford, uh bye week at Oregon State, <laughs> at least it looks like it right now, and then they play Oregon with a lot of talent, Utah and ASU. And those last two, I think, are going to be the ones, Utah and ASU, uh, competing for the, the Pac-12 South title. So it's going to be interesting if if they drop any of the first five games. Uh, I think that will produce some, some negative publicity. But uh, just reading up on some stuff, there's already weird stuff in the fan circles of – uh, Arizona's not able to pull in recruits that they should be pulling in. They're losing recruits to schools like New Mexico um, and Nevada, which are in potentially worse conferences, but not in a potentially worse situation. So uh, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. I was a big fan of Kevin Sumlin when he was at A&M, but there's a lot of stories that came out after from players that kind of changed my mind. It was a lot of kind of favoritism, and if you were a starter, you didn't, 
have to live up to the same expectations as any of the other players on the team. And it honestly, when I read it, I believed it automatically just because it explained literally everything with Kyle Allen, Kyle Murray, that whole quarterback situation. And the thing that worries about worries me about Arizona is Khalil Tate is a very talented dude. I think he's more of a runner than a passer. Uh, he's almost a perfect fit to that system. The problem is Noah Mazzoni is not the type of guy that's going to let you make those decisions. He's going to make those decisions for you, and it's a lot about staying in the pocket versus trusting that talent, trusting that experience. So I wasn't a fan of Mazzoni because he it was a very throw three times, go three and out, and then get off the field and put your defense back out there. It's probably why they gave up so many points and their defense was in last in a lot of categories. That's what our defense looked like when Kevin Sumlin was there and Noah Mazzoni was with him uh, the last two years. So it'll just depend how their schedule plays out. They're going to have to win a lot in those first five games and potentially beat Oregon State. Hopefully that's not a challenging game for them, and that that will make them a bowl game. But I don't see them beating any of the other six teams with Washington, USC, Stanford, Oregon, Utah, and ASU. So probably 6-6 would be my guess for them. I mean, that's not terrible, though, given where they were last year. Um, so I guess that leads us into, though, our next team, since you brought up how you're thinking that Arizona State and Utah are going to be the ones banging it out. USC. Um, I honestly thought USC would be battling Utah for the top division, but Artem, you seem to think Arizona State will fill in that category. Um, do you have a rationale for that as far as uh, what USC does or does not deliver um, coming up in this season? I think they're kind of in opposite trajectories as far as head coaching situations. Herm's kind of on an uptick. People are starting to believe in this kind of system they put in there. And I forget the coach's name at USC, but people don't like him very much because he's not winning to the same standard that they're used to this last decade. So, honestly, from a fan perspective, if I was a USC fan, that coach is on a hot seat after not making a bowl game at 5-7, and seven, and now you get a tough schedule ahead of you with playing pretty much all the California schools, then you got BYU and Notre Dame on the schedule. It's going to be a tough year. I don't see them going out on top of the conference just because of the trajectory, and since I've been watching USC the last five years, they seem to either – win a lot and continue winning and then drop in a game or two at the very end of the season, or they seem to just kind of shit the bed the first half of the season and then somehow figure it out the second half and make a bowl game. But last season, they didn't even do that. So I really don't expect much from them, which means different things than it does for Arizona. When I say I don't expect much from Arizona, I mean I don't expect them to make a bowl game. I think USC will still make a bowl game this year, but I don't think they're going to win this out. All right, well, Andrew, I want to ask you if you agree with Artem, but what I'm going to ask you instead is if they get the rights to use their name, will you buy a Amon Raw St. Brown t-shirt? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, okay. Like, I want to see if I can get like a three-pack, like one of all of the brothers. <laughs> oh, that'd be so awesome. Uh, but anyway, uh, tell us about USC. They're in a weird place because USC is one of those teams. We were so used to the Pete Carroll USC's where they had top five recruiting classes, you know, beat up on everybody, players all over the place in the NFL. And since Carroll left, they've never really been able to 
kind of bring that back. You know, and USC is a one of those kind of blue blood programs that's always good. But Clay Helton, I think, is coaching for his job this year. I think if you don't see, you know, I'd almost say eight wins. I think he may be gone. What's really fascinating is I do like the hire of Graham Harrell. He's he's no Cliff Kingsbury, but he's about as close to Cliff Kingsbury as you can get without being Cliff Kingsbury. You know, he played for Mike Leach at Texas Tech. He's he's an air raid guy through and through. So it'll be interesting to see what sophomore JT Daniels is able to do in this system. Although apparently he's having a bit of a competition with another sophomore, Jack Sears, in the spring this year. They're a really young team. I think I'm, I'm looking at their their depth charts, and they've got one senior on offense as a starter and two seniors on defense. A lot of sophomores, a freshman, some juniors. They may be if, – if Heldon can put together eight wins – and keep his job. I think next year may be a year where we can look at USC and go, all right, they're a team who's going to really make some noise. But, you know, the schedule doesn't start easy. You know, they play Fresno State, who's not a bad team. Stanford at BYU, Utah. They have to go to Washington, and they get Oregon as crossovers and Cal, which Cal's supposed to be pretty much better. They go at Notre Dame, which Notre Dame's going to be pretty good next year. I mean, it's if they win eight games, they will have earned those eight wins. But Ooh. the offense has got to get better. The other crazy thing is they're actually currently involved in a scandal right now where one of their staff assistant quality control guys um, got fired, and he's suing the school saying that they fired him because in retaliation – for reporting NCAA violations to the compliance office. Ooh, oh my God. What he's saying is that the coaching staff paid students, paid undergraduate students to pose as graduate assistants to take tests. <laughs> he's just so, awesome. <laughs> that's a fun, you know, we're going to see kind of what happens in there. But yeah, they're, they're, they're a young team. And I really like the Graham Harrell hire. If if they can go all in and turn that offense into, you know, pretty decent, I I, I could see them scraping together eight wins. But man, it's it's going to be something they earned. And I think if they don't win at least eight, I think Helton's gone. Nothing's going to happen, by the way. If LSU can funnel money through a church to pay high school kids, <laughs> USC can also. That's what uh. Here. That's what um, Clemson is alleged to be doing for South Carolina fans. Well, I mean, I heard that too. But funneling money and giving kids the right to make money off their names—two totally different things, apparently. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, Clemson, under the table, under the table. I don't know if Clemson's proven, but for LSU, it's a dude that pled guilty on the stand is going to jail. <laughs> And he was like, I only did 300000 oh, <laughs> Only 300000 I mean, shoot. That, that, that's how much he said he did. But under for the record, it was like five mil or something. And then he, he was like, I only did like 300000 I stole the... <laughs> 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 like, this situation does not get better. 
Uh, you know, the NCAA investigators are, I swear to God, they're, they're like cops sometimes. You know, they should have had Miami dead rights when they're at Nevin Shapiro and nothing happened. You know, they, they ding schools for small violations, but then these, mad, you know, you look at the whole FBI investigation on the basketball side where it doesn't look like anyone's going to get in any trouble. Yeah, and like this, this whole uh, California is gonna do their own paying the the athletes thing. They're like making a huge deal of it. Watch out, guys! Watch out! I'm gonna I'm gonna pimp slap all you schools, and they're not gonna do. I think yeah. it's I think it has more to do with keeping the status quo. I don't I can't speak for the the school or the NCAA and how it works for them, but I mean they partially work for the schools, right? So. They don't want to. They want to keep their rules uh, as far as visibility goes, but they don't want to shake things up too much by also hindering the people that are they're getting money for and from. Hey. Yeah, the, the NCAA is made up of and run by university presidents, so it's a really kind of fascinating, especially given that there's a stigma about some university presidents that they just don't like athletics. So that's really kind of fascinating how that works. Yeah. I don't know that that's who comprises the NCAA, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see how that money shuffles around in there. Anyway, we got to get back to the PAC 12 guys, uh, Utah. So Utah is my kind of favorite to win the, uh, division, the South division, I believe. South Beach Division. Utah returns QB Tyler Huntley and a myriad of receiving talent. Running back Zach Moss also returns, hopefully unhampered by the knee injury from last year. They lose some strength in the defensive secondary, but their defense was a huge strong point for them last year, holding opponents to 19.4 points per game and 4.6 yards per play. If they can vaguely resemble that showcase, then with a def- with an offense that's growing and a defense that can kind of stay remain stout, they got a great shot at winning the uh, South Division. Uh, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Utah? Oh yeah, I, I, they have to be the favorite. Eight players coming back that were starters last year on offense, seven on defense. You know, Utah's always good defensively. Kyle Whittingham is to me a really underrated coach in the country. I mean, he's really, really good at what he does. You know, like we said, Utah's one of those teams that all of a sudden you look up and they won nine or ten games. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute. What? Where did... What? Utah? Where did you come from? But yeah, the defense was really stout last year, led the Pac-12 in some categories. Yeah, the offense didn't throw the ball well last year, but should really have a chance this year with Huntley coming back, the receivers coming back. You know, three out of five offensive linemen coming back. There's going to be some depth. The schedule is a little rough. They At USC is going to be tough. They don't get Oregon. They do have to go to Washington November 2nd, which will be a really fascinating game. But easily the favorite to win the, the South cheer. All right, Artem, do you agree with that statement? I agree with everything he said. I don't even have anything to add because – I don't think anybody really knows anything about Utah. They just know that they're going to win a certain number of games. And they have the biggest cakewalk of that entire division, which is, I think, the only reason that they'll probably win the South. Uh, Out of Arizona State, they have to play a lot 
easier teams, whereas Arizona State has a Michigan State on their schedule. I think the toughest out-of-state opponent or out-of-conference opponent Utah has to deal with is NIU. So, yeah, I think they'll win the, uh, the South. Don't know how. Don't ask me. We don't know anything about Utah until about week 10 when Pac-12 after dark becomes relevant. <laughs> yeah, and until then, nothing can be verified. All right. Well, speaking of another uh, team that I guess surprised some people last year, the Cal Bears. Uh, last year, they held teams to 20.4 points per game, uh, which I did not realize. And probably the real reason I didn't realize that is because they only averaged 21.5 points per game. So despite a very good defense, uh, their offense was not really a lot able to uh, secure a lot of good wins off of, off of that performance. Uh, the Bears will have to improve quickly uh, with start off the start of their season with road games against Washington and Ole Miss. So I, I'm not sure what to make of Cal this year. Uh, it's, it's one of those middle-of-the-road teams. I could see them winning six games. I could also see them winning eight games. I could see them winning four games. It just kind of depends on the situation. Artem, where do you think uh, Cal will end up sitting at the end of the year? My guess is probably a little bit ahead of where they were last year. <laughs> I mean, they probably will. Uh, they were bottom two of the North. I think Washington State's not going to be as good this year. Uh, they do have Chase Garbers coming back, who I think is the kid who had that crazy flip into the end zone last year. Um, he's a tough kid, so I, I think it's going to be really fun to watch them. Uh, they're going to be a year older, a year better. The, the game on the schedule that I see that kind of interests me the most is honestly UNT. Uh, just because UNT is going to be, I hope we believe, is a powerful powerhouse team out of uh, out of that conference. And it'll be interesting to see them match up there because I think those teams are actually evenly talented. Um, UNT is going to be pretty much mostly Mason Fine, so as long as he stays healthy, that should be a really fun game to watch. And it's at Cal. Um, they do play what I would say kind of a weaker schedule. So hopefully they can pull out a bowl game this coming year. Okay. Andrew, is that your optimistic view of them as well, to just see if they can make a bowl game? Cal's really weird because a couple of years ago with Sonny Dykes, they could score 100 points a game and lose. And now they're really, really, really good defensively. So they give up like 17 points and still lose. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of growth they can make Offensively, Bo Baldwin's an exciting coordinator. He spent some time at Eastern Washington. That's kind of been a, a cradle of exciting offenses. You know, Garbage is back, but not a lot of guys are back offensively. So there'll be a good bit of growth there. Again, it'll be the defense kind of carries the team early on. The road game at Washington will be tough. At Ole Miss will be tough. At Oregon, at Utah. Whew. USC. Oh, Lord. It may be a tough year for the Golden Bears. But I do agree with Artem. I think that week three game against North, North Texas, it will be a lot of fun because North Texas is fantastic offensively and Cal is fantastic defensively. So it'll be a good matchup there. I, I see six wins as probably an absolute best for them just because it's, it's a tough out-of-conference schedule and they get some of the tougher teams out of the South. Interesting. So you think they're going to cap out at six. Okay, that's fair. To, to kind of add to Andrew's debate, um, the 
if you guys remember, they were in the Cheez-Its Bowl last year, and they played TCU, and that game ended 10-7. to In one of the most... Because glor- they were like Sorry, 13 I- turnovers in a row. Yeah, one of the most glorious bowl games in the history of all sports. That, seriously, go back and watch that game because it was ridiculous. Um, but they had um, – I didn't notice this at first, but they had a weird quarterback situation. They had a kid named Bauer start the first game. Then he was out. Garber started the next two games, got hurt. Then McElwain – Mac, Wayne? I don't know how you even say that dude's name. He played three games, and then Garber's finished off the rest of the season. And he was the one that played TCU in the bowl game, so hopefully he learned not how to throw interceptions from that. Uh, Brandon McElwain's the transfer from South Carolina. I remember him when he was at South Carolina. I was about to say, that sounds familiar, but I thought he was at South Carolina. Um, He's not on the depth chart this year, so I guess that was his senior year last year. Or he may have transferred. Transferred from a transfer. You never know. Or he may have given up to play just baseball. But it seems like their biggest thing is going to be where the run goes, because if you look at it, the high pass, whoever their quarterback was, was also their highest production from a running game which is really bad unless you're like Johnny football or Cam Newton and none of them are. So whatever their own game goes, they'll go. Okay. Speaking of a team that has been, I found out what happened to McAway. Okay. Just tell us before we go to Stanford. It's drafted in the 26th round of this year's major league baseball draft. What? what? No way. Good for him. I guess. He's like Tim Tebow now. So wait, who who was who did he go to? Uh, pick seven hundred seventy-one Marlins. I don't know if he signed a contract though. Usually that late, you don't. But uh, you never know. If he's not on the depth chart, he might just be going as a, as a baseball player. He was allegedly moved to a hybrid receiver athlete player, but he also apparently broke his right foot. So I'm really not sure what's going on right now. <laughs> That's very confusing. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the bottom of this. Eventually. <laughs> All right. So, well, you kind of ruined my transition there, but Stanford. All right. Stanford. Bryce Love is gone. Uh, but KJ Costello is back at quarterback, and he has the brother of Amon Ra St. Brown. Uh, in Osiris St. Brown to throw to. Stanford will be a pretty – he's going gonna, gonna to be looked to be a challenging force in the north, but may struggle against improving teams such as Oregon and Washington. So it's it's hard to say. I think you're maybe looking at another middle-of-the-year uh, – middle-of-the-road year for Stanford, which means seven or eight wins. Andrew, uh, what are your thoughts on Stanford? Yeah, I think you, you kind of hit on it. I think this is a, a seven or an eight win Stanford team. The out of conference schedule is tough. Northwestern at UCF, Notre Dame to end the season. You know, their crossovers Arizona, Colorado, UCLA, USC. Week two at USC will be kind of a really fascinating game for us to get a feel for if either of those teams are any good at the beginning of the season. They lost a ton offensively, not just. Love, you know, J.J. Sega Whiteside's gone. They're placing all their wide receivers. Only one starting offensive lineman is back. You know, they've got the obligatory, incredibly talented tight end because that's what Stanford does now. You know, Costello came on 
decent late in the season, you know, played pretty well. You know, they won their last four games. The passing defense wasn't great last year, and they didn't run the ball well on offense last year. So those are two places where they're really going to have to look to get better. And obviously you say, you know, losing Bryce Love doesn't. But yeah, he was hurt so much last year. I think that really caused some issues. You know, Cameron Scarlett's probably going to be the guy that you see. But yeah, I think I think Costello is really the interesting one because I think he's a better quarterback than they've had the past couple of years. All right. Well, Artem, do you share that uh, outlook? Hell yeah. I've been waiting for Scarlett to blow up, and now he's got a senior quarterback behind the helm. This is going to be like an Andrew Luck type of year. I don't know if they're going to win that many games as Andrew Luck did because it's just a tough schedule, but it's going to be an exciting team to watch. Uh, I actually recognize I've been following recruiting probably for about five years now, and it's funny because I recognize a bunch of the names. Their right tackle is a guy named Walker Little. Um, out of Texas. I'm pretty sure that dude was a five-star, if I remember correctly. So, you know, he's a junior this year. They got a bunch of big offensive linemen, which they always need. And with a senior running back and a senior quarterback, hopefully those two dudes now haven't been through that program for that many years, have a really good idea of what they're doing, and have developed that chemistry. So at least on offense, they're going to be good. And the thing about Stanford is, even when their defense doesn't have a great year, if they have the experience and the maturity on offense, they can make the defense's life better. They can run the ball and just tire out opponents to where by the time the opponent gets the ball, it's half a quarter gone. So you better make use of it. And if you don't, our off, our defense is going to be real fresh because when you give us the ball back, we're going to take that other seven and a half minutes off the game, and there's there goes a quarter. So that's kind of what I, I see Stanford doing this year. If their defense doesn't step up to um, the years that they had pre last year, where they're quite a bit better, they had a lot of NFL, talent going in the NFL. I see them using their offensive maturity to control the clock and just control games, not let not let their opponents have a lot of possessions and just out muscle them with six if it takes seven offensive linemen and just pound the rock i mean ball control is a thing and stanford is used to doing it so i think uh it'll be good to see them get back to the old school style uh now talking about a team that is about as far away from the old school style as you can imagine wazoo or washington state for the layman's term people uh gardner Minshew is gone at quarterback and running back james williams left for the nfl that said, the team is loaded at wide receiver. There are many players lost on defense, but the team isn't particularly well-known for their defense to begin with. It'll take a lot to replicate the 11-win season from last year, but, hey, Coach Leach is used to challenges. So, Artem, I guess I'm turning to you. Who Do you see Wazoo uh, making a repeat situation, or is this going to be a rebuilding year? got a lot of experience on offense still even though they lost a bunch of guys uh, if i remember right washington state is the one who had a really really talented quarterback and i can't remember for life of me what his name was gardner he killed himself oh the other quarterback oh okay i thought you were yeah, talking about gardner. i think he was i think it was in the offseason he was supposed to start this year but it didn't happen um and his brother is a really talented QB too but when i'm looking at it i see three graduate transfers or transfers at quarterback so Mike Leach is going to figure it out. It doesn't really matter. The first guy um, that I see is a graduate transfer, Gage Grubrud. Uh, Mike Leach has proven that he can deal with a graduate transfer and just toss the rock 50, however many times a game. I just I just see them doing that again. 
I think the biggest thing with them is going to be defensive drop-off. Um, they lost uh, Alex Grinch, who pretty much made their defense turn around and made them win that many games last year because of his success he got hired at Oklahoma. So um, that, that's going to be the, the gauge for me is how good is their defense after losing a good defensive coordinator because it hasn't been good before that. Uh, their offense, I, I don't see dropping off at all. Okay, well... Andrew, where would that leave them then if they their defense drops off a little but their offense stays strong? I mean, that's basically uh, Coach Leach's uh, calling card. Andrew? Sorry, their defense was surprisingly good last year for a Mike Leach air raid defense. They were you know, upper half of the Pac-12 statistically. They, they did... Struggle a little bit against the pass, ironically. But the fun thing about Mike Leach's offense is a lot of times he can plug and play, plug and play at quarterback a little bit, where no matter how great of a year, because I can remember, you know, everyone thought Cliff Kingsbury was the greatest, then Graham Harrell, and then who's the other one that's another? Like half the OCs in the Pac-12 played at Texas Tech under Mike Leach. Wow. So it's really fascinating to – to see that, you know, Goodbread played well and was an FCS All-American in Eastern Washington. So, you know, he's got experience. He's he's played a good bit. I'm really excited for the running back, Max Borgie. He's a really great dual purpose, almost a Christian McCaffrey type player. You know, catches the ball well out of the backfield. It's going to be able to run more with James Williams leaving. So it'll be really kind of fascinating to see. What he does, you know, four starters return on the offensive line. Obviously losing Andre Dillard, who was a really good player, is going to hurt them. But I think the offense will be as good. Kind of like what Artem said, the offense will be as good as they were. Maybe a slight step back, but still, you know, you might not see the 4,000 yards you saw from Minshew. You may only see 3,500. But the schedule week three at Houston is going to be really kind of fascinating. They get Colorado from the south which helps but they also get utah which does not help they have to go to oregon and to washington which will be tough games so you know i'm, I'm thinking maybe a six or a, a seven win season this year which i mean that's a huge drop off from the 11 they had last year but also this is washington state i don't think that's an unreasonable expectation to have a six or a seven win season i mean we'll see how the fan base reacts but I think that's pretty much in their wheelhouse What, as far as what you would want to see. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, and I think Washington State, too, as long as you're winning games, going to bowls, and you can start beating Washington, I think you're going to be pretty good. We'll see. I mean, they still got a chance to beat Washington and Oregon. But uh, speaking of Oregon, uh, next up on the docket, the Ducks return a lot on offense and defense. This might be their year. They are the betting favorite to win the Pac-12 right now. And with that in mind, uh, the Ducks have a rough schedule on the road facing Auburn and Arlington and Stanford, Washington, USC, and Arizona State. So this is going to be a little bit of a rough road for them, but they've got the talent and they've got the uh, passion, certainly, to kind of come out there and finally perform. And they've got the sponsorship with Nike. So, you know, everything's going their way. What could possibly go wrong? 
other than Washington. Um, Andrew, you've kind of been waiting on this for a while for the for the quack attack to be back. Uh, what are your thoughts going into this year as far as Oregon? Yeah, they, they have to be the biggest competitor with Washington to win the division. Justin Herbert's back, who some people have argued if he left would have been the number one overall pick in last year's draft. So it'll be really fascinating to see if he can build on his 3,000-yard, 29-touchdown, you know, that he showed last year. The receivers suffered from the drops, which hurt his completion percentage, 59.4. So they return. So my my notes say they return 12 starters on offense, which, you know, everyone knows have 11 guys at a time. So Well, they return the coach, so, I mean, if you want to get technical <laughs> about it. You know, the defense needs to make some strides. They were middle of the pack last year in the Pac-12. They did have, you know, Kavon Thibodeau was one of the top recruits in the country, at defensive end, who will kind of give them some, some – looking to give them some pass rush. But, yeah, they uh, – this, I think, has to be their year that sets up really well. The road schedule is going to be tough. That's that's really probably their biggest stumbling block because I, I think that game one will be really, really fascinating against Auburn because both of those teams, in my mind, are really fun to watch offensively. And if Oregon wins that game, Gus Malzahn might get fired. <laughs> Which is something that we got to talk about in our SEC met, uh, but, discussion. But to be, to be fair, you could start any Auburn season with Gus Malzahn might get fired. Uh, honestly, those are the most fun seasons because that tends to be when the seasons when weird stuff happens at Auburn. Uh, as, as much as I dislike Auburn, it is always <laughs> interesting to see like what kind of magic Malzahn pulls out of his hat. Um, sticking with Oregon, I guess, Artem, are you with uh, Andrew on this train? Do you think Oregon's going to be the top team out of the Pac-12? Yeah, absolutely, and for a lot of the same reasons, uh, I, I thought it was very interesting that Herbert came back. Uh, am I saying his name right? Herbert? Hebert? I think it's Herbert. It is Herbert. Okay. Yeah, so they got starting running back back, quarterback back. That's a good decision. That's a good choice always. Um, they also, it looks like uh, they have the, I think he was the number one recruit in the country last year. Uh, Kavion Thebido, right? He's going to be starting, supposedly. Um, so apparently he's a really good pass rusher, and I, I thought that's what they really needed last year. Um, they couldn't get a good rush going. Um, they they kind of fell off because they lost to Arizona, of all teams, 44-15. to 15. That was really the only blowout last season that they faced. And um, I think the fan base should feel inspired by what Mario Cristobal has been able to do there because after Chip Kelly left, um, Helfrick was there, and every year essentially the team got worse and worse and worse. He went 4-8, essentially got fired. Then they brought in Taggart, which was the dumbest move, um, and they just got really lucky that Florida State took that dude. If I if I was them, I would already have been thinking about firing him because he had all the talent in the world, and they went 5-7. and seven. And then you have this guy, Mario Cristobal, come in and not just win a bunch of games and have a good team and bring in a lot of talent, but also when you have a loss to a team like Arizona, which uh, I believe they were 5-7 and seven last year or 7-6, and six, barely a bowl game, something like that, in the middle of the season, you lose 44-15 to 15 to a team that you probably should have beaten. Um, it, it's interesting how they recovered from that, right? Um, a lot of times, um, 
Nick Saban, I think, has even said it before. Uh, he he knows his team could drop one game during the season just because um, it, it's going to happen. There's going to be some sort of unforeseen circumstance. Uh, on one point, they lost to A&M, Johnny Football. That was just – I don't even know how that happened today. Um, two or three years later, they dropped a game to Ole Miss because Ole Miss was getting all those strippers for the players, and they finally got some talent and ended up beating Alabama in a shootout. So um, – you got to – what Saban says is you're going to drop a game. How does your team recover from that? When your team – and Saban's team never loses 44-15. So seeing an Oregon team drop the ball completely on that and then come back and win it and then face a team like Michigan State in a bowl game, uh, what is our New Year's Day, I think, and then win 7-6 and six in a defensive game on a team that's usually fast-paced, breaking a lot of big plays, that's awesome. I'm excited for Oregon – um, if you know, I think Washington is their biggest competitor, who I'm sure we're going to talk about next. But they're probably my number one team out of the Pac-12, potentially making the playoff this year. Oh, fair enough. I think you might be stretching it a little bit, saying they're going to make the playoff, but you never know. I mean, if they win that game against Auburn and win the rest of their matchups, uh, stranger things have happened. All right. Well, last on the list, Chris Peterson at uh, Washington. So Chris Peterson has a tendency to keep his uh, teams running in conference championships, but uh, and he's off to a good start with QB Jacob Eason. Uh, they do lose Miles Gaskin, but Salvan Ahmed will look to fill that running back gap. And it's a rough spot uh, for the defense, which was a top squad last year, but lost a lot of their talent coming into 2019. So I can see from a talent perspective that they don't quite match up the same way that Oregon does. But with that in mind, uh, they do they are the champions. They do have a lot of talent coming back. And they've got Chris Peterson, which speaks volumes for their program. Artem, uh, do, is anybody really going to challenge them other than Oregon this year? No, I don't think so. I think all the other games on their schedule are winnable. The biggest question mark comes at quarterback with Jacob Eason. Um Kid's good, played all 13 games freshman year. Uh, I think he got knocked out game two or game one of his sophomore season and really hasn't played since in a real game atmosphere, uh, aside from, I guess, spring game. So he's going to have to knock a lot of the rust off in the first game against Eastern Washington, and Eastern Washington flies around the field. So hopefully they don't put a lot on that kid's shoulders in game one. And I think as long as he just gains confidence throughout the season, I, I don't think there's a team – aside from Oregon, that will pose a real challenge to their title uh, hopes. Um, I do have a, a, what do you call it? A, caveat? Not a caveat, a, a proposal for our uh, funny name or interesting name. Uh, Washington has a kid who is a redshirt freshman nose tackle. His name is Tuli Letuli Gasanoa. That should be a kid we follow as, as the part of the Fish. interesting names. The Fishmason Award? Yeah, we'll talk about Tuli Latuli. What? I don't know. I'll figure it out. Latuli Gasanoa. I'll, I'll send it to you. But um, yeah, I think Stanford and Oregon are really kind of the biggest contenders as long as they get past that Eastern Washington game unscathed and Eason gains some confidence. He threw 2,500 yards as a true freshman, so uh, I think it should be easy, but you never know. Kid could get hurt again, um, you know, get the dropsies or. Uh, get a PTSD from getting hit. So we'll see. First couple of games will kind of show how the rest of their season 
goes. And if they can beat Oregon, I think they can make it out of the conference and maybe make it to the playoff themselves. They're the Oregon and Washington are the two teams I think are most likely to make it out. All right. Andrew, I know you're not as huge on previous Bulldogs uh, quarterbacks, but are, do you share the same optimism with Jacob Eason running the show down at Was- up at Washington, rather? Yeah, I think Eason should be fine. He's got a lot of talent. Their biggest question to me on Washington is they only returned two starters off of last year's defense, a defense that was very, 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 very good. So that's really the question is, is those three early games before they go to BYU are really going to give them a chance to see if they're good. As Arnim kind of said, the Eastern Washington is very, very good offensively. So it'll be a good test for that young, inexperienced defense to see if they can maybe not be as good as they were last year where they were in top 25 in every single statistical category. And so they were really, really good defensively. So the offense may have to carry them, which will be a really fascinating kind of change of pace given the Washington defense has been really, really good for a couple of years. The thing that helps Eason is he gets all but one offensive lineman back. He gets some experienced receivers and tight ends back. So he's going to have weapons, you know, Ahmad as the running back to step into some big shoots. But, you know, I mean, Ahmad had 608 yards, 5.8 yards per carry and seven touchdowns last year. So he has at least played. So there'll be a lot of weapons for Eason. And the schedule for them is easier than the schedule for Oregon. They get Oregon at home. They have to go to Stanford. But, you know, they get Utah at home. So, you know, Washington's got to be the favorite just because the schedule sets up better. And, you know, their their questions are questions they've answered before. It sounds like you've kind of got two favorites coming out of the north. It's a shame they're both in the north right now. Uh, I mean, yeah. are Who's your, who's your pick at, coming out of the conference, Andrew? It sounds like Artem, you you already said that you're looking at uh, Oregon and I'm sorry, who was the team from the South? I don't think a team of the South is going to make it, uh, but if it is, it's probably going to be either Utah or Arizona State. Okay, so we're looking at his favorites, probably Utah and Oregon. With Oregon ended up winning it all. Andrew, who's who's your team coming out of the Pac-12 with the championship, and doesn't ma- and doesn't matter if it's not from California. <laughs> I don't think it will be from California. Uh, I think you're going to get a Utah Washington rematch in the conference title game, and the only way that either of those teams get in the playoff is if they're undefeated or with one loss. And you, if they're undefeated, I think they get in unless everyone else is undefeated. One loss, it gets complicated, especially if it's a team like Utah where, you know, we've kind of seen teams that aren't the sexy names struggle to get playoff recognition. We saw with their TCU a couple years ago. And so it would be interesting to see if if Utah is that team that, you know, say they go, I don't know, 11-2, and 12-1. Yeah. What, what does that mean for them down the playoff run situation? That's a good question. I don't know. But I think the being in the Pac-12 does not help their situation. Uh, it's like anybody anybody but Clemson coming out of the ACC. But oh, yeah. Time will tell. Or, I mean, oh, really anyone that's not Oklahoma or Texas out of the Big 12. Or anyone who's not Ohio State coming out of the Big 10. Eh, Michigan. 
Michigan could do it too on name recognition. I don't. But, I don't believe you. But maybe that's just because I haven't seen Michigan beat Ohio State yet. Well, that's that's the problem. Is that Michigan State hasn't been in a position where it's mattered. But anyway, I mean, with that, I think that's going to wrap us up for today. Unless y'all get, do y'all have any other thoughts on the Pac-12? I'm still on my mission to figure out what happened to Brandon McIlwain. <laughs> it doesn't look like he signed his contract, so I think he's still a football player at California. Well, is he a football player, or is he just playing baseball full-time at that point? No, because he, he went through spring ball, from what I can read. Okay, so he just that it's not listed right now. Oh, that's weird. Okay. I'll have a, I'll have a Brandon McIlwain update <laughs> next week. Artem, do you have anything left that you want to say about the conference? Yeah, I don't think it matters who wins in the South. It's going to be Oregon or Washington. It's going to be fun to watch, though. I'm glad uh, they're continuing Pac-12 after dark, so it'll be some fun football to watch when football's over for everybody else. And it's not too late in the Central Zone to uh, catch those games. I am excited having moved to Central Time Zone where I can at least catch maybe the first half of some of these late Pac-12 games. Well, I mean, it might not be over for everybody else, depending on how many seven-overtime games we get, Artem. But, I mean, yeah, for the most part, I think Pac-12 After Dark will run to 2 a.m., probably. So They changed that. You can't do seven-overtime games anymore. I thought it maxed out at seven. They changed it, I think. I don't know if they finalized the rule, but they were saying you like start going for two earlier on or something like that and it's three or I think it's you start trading extra points so I think after three overtimes is just two-point conversions until somebody can't two-point convert one play at a time no more like drive than do conversion or extra point I'm not oh. sure if that was official did they finally put that in place Andrew am I just losing my mind I feel like that was still just being talked about yeah he says if a game hits the fifth overtime teams will line up for alternating two-point conversion attempts Okay, fifth overtime. That's what I thought. All right. Okay, so it's the sixth overtime where that starts becoming a thing. All right, whatever. Anyway, Pac-12, that's what we got. All right, thank you as always to my friends Andrew and Artem for showing up, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Until next time, y'all have a good rest of your week. Good night, everybody.